Welcome to the Movies in the Brain podcast. I am with my great good friend and co-host as always. Chad Mitz. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. So Chad, the person at Marvel Studios who decided that uh, a September release date, a Labor Day weekend release date for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings should get a promotion and a pay raise. Or <laughs> Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is now the number one box office movie globally of the great box office reset your thoughts on marvel holding spots one and two on that list well uh, my first thought is that you know we we, we said it before shang chi came out it was like the whole the trend with the summer summer movies were um while they weren't getting as making as much money as pre-covid if the movie was a theater exclusive it was going to do better well it it tend it looked like it was going to do better over the long haul than those that were day and date uh and and now we have two uh clear examples to compare to from the same company uh with with black widow and shang chi Uh, black widow did very well opening weekend and it fell off a cliff because again it was available day and date on Disney Plus. And what a lot of people don't say as much, once it's available for streaming, that means the pirating can start too. So that plays a part into it. Don't know how much of a part, but that is something worth mentioning. Shang-Chi, uh, theater exclusive, and it's been holding strong with these numbers week after week. Saying, it's showing that people will go to the theater for stuff that they want to see um now right now it seems like the only thing they want, they're willing to go to the theater for is marvel stuff marvel proper stuff uh and are are there franchises that they like so marvel proper stuff and uh, fa- uh the fast franchise for now uh we got a a little variation with free guy up in there uh that has done done well uh, i'm glad it's done as well as it has i still haven't seen it i want to see that uh but we'll get another taste of how this is going to go with marvel adjacent um when venom comes out this week but uh yeah i think um i mean it's it's got to be slightly encouraging for theater owners that you know if we get something here exclusive that people want to see people will come but we're still not out of the woods because people are only going to see those things and not anything else. Indeed, it is not a completely thriving box office uh, situation, but still, it's great that Marvel strategically placed this. We we called this a bellwether. We called this a, an indicator, and it very much was. See what Sony has now done uh, with Venom, Let There Be Carnage, as a result of what happened with Shang-Chi. Um, Dune, for example, is already making money overseas. Maybe that's because they know it won't make any money domestically. We'll see. <laughs> but, um, you know, like it's a it, it has no competition. It's got free run and it's making good money and it was critically well liked and fans seem to be receiving it well. And I think that you can overall qualify this as a success success for a movie that was originally supposed to come out in February of 2020. Uh, February of 2021. Sorry. Yeah, so... I, what, they're going to run it? I'm curious, are they going to really run it all the way until November when Disney Plus Day hits? November the 12th. Uh, I mean, if they, if they keep running that long and it makes substantial amounts of money i will be kind of shocked i i think it would you know no in normal days what the movie's been out um it's been out less than a month but in normal days i was thinking like you know another two three weeks that's kind of it we're done but uh there's literally nothing else besides venom so why not just roll the dice well, I mean, the next the next few months, uh, the next month will bring competition. Um, then I'm let there be carnage. Excuse me. Yeah. Then I'm let there be carnage, and then um, and then no time to die, which will finally come out yeah, in right. the U.S. on October the eighth, and Dune, 
uh, which will also come out. But I thought you said uh, competition. Dune has, but Dune also has the HBO Max thing, so it will be streaming as well. Um, you know, it's just it's just going to be interesting to see. Uh, obviously, this has been beneficial for Marvel. It's a guiding a guidepost. And it'll be interesting to see how this affects um, the Eternals rollout because Eternals is what three weeks before No Way Home. Is it or is it three weeks or two weeks? Something like that. It's it's probably not probably three weeks. Yeah, it's not a very long release window between Marvel films. Of course, one's a pure Marvel film, the other one's a Sony Marvel film. Well, it's uh, so. Let's see. Eternals is November fifth. And no time in uh, No Way Home's like December sixteenth, December seventeenth. So probably about five weeks. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good amount of breathing room. Yeah. Now, Chad, let's talk a little bit about uh, Venom. What to expect from Venom? Let there be carnage. As all of our '90s gearheads get ready to, you know, reappear at the movie theater in their grunge T-shirts with their punk rock hair, and reliving their glory days watching. Uh, a buddy cop comedy between Tom Hardy and an ACG. Yeah, that, that thing. So, um, I, in, you know, in general, I've kind of tried to avoid things, extra things with Venom, but um, they're paying a lot of money for these TV ads because they're all over the place. Uh, and my daughter likes to point out that, hey, is that movie uh, with Venom and she always makes a comment, and I'm like, I know, I know. And it's the same ones, and then there's questions about why is Venom like this? He eats people, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like getting into any of this with you. Uh, and then there's, a, I saw another one where apparently Venom's at a rave with freaking glow-in-the-dark beads around his neck, and he does a damn mic drop. And I'm like, oh, this is what this movie is. All right, okay. Um, so, yeah, I expect shenanigans in this movie. Lots and lots of shenanigans. Uh, I don't know if there'll be better shenanigans than the last movie or different shenanigans, but they're going to be shenanigans. Um, but apparently it's only 90 minutes, and I, I appreciate them for doing that for me. On your birthday. Yeah, well, yeah, that's see, that's where I'm at right now. Am I going to see it on my actual birthday, which I'm leaning towards? Hell no. Or am I going to see it the day before? Uh, and I think that's the move. And I think I'm not going to even wait for uh, um, like six, seven o'clock. I think I'm going to get this out of the way at a brisk 4.30, be done by seven. And I can't say wash it away because we got to talk about it. But then after that, I can let it. Leave my mind, unless unless the rumored ending happens, and then that's going to just piss me off. Well, let's talk about uh, that beloved uh, post-credit stinger that Sony wants you to know exists. Chad, you're, we dug into it a little bit last week, but what would be the implications for Venom and Eddie Brock sitting on a couch watching Tom Hardy's Ven- uh, Spider-Man swing around? I'm hollering. This is I, it wasn't until right that moment that I realized how confusing that can potentially be both the time H's. But um, the implications for me would be fury, unbelievable fury. Because I, you know, the last few months I've come to terms with what this Venom movie is, I've, I've come to terms with a Venom existing outside of Spider Man, and I. Uh, because of you know recent developments in the comic books, which this movie is not an accurate representation of, but it does open up this avenue. I was willing to accept a Venom on his own without having anything to do with Spider-Man. I was good with that. If these rumors are true and they're trying to bridge the gap between Venom and not just bridge the gap between Venom and Spider-Man, but bridge the gap between Venom and Tom Holland Spider-Man. It's like, this is unnecessary and stupid. You don't need to do it. 
because you have other options. If you want to just have a Spider-Man, you have two other choices that, you know, allegedly are going to be in the Tom Holland movie. Pick one of them. One of them really loves the character and you can do these things and have this Spider-Man adjacent thing going on. By doing it with Tom Holland, it just so it just screams. We have to be close to the stuff that works. We have to bring our stuff close to the stuff that works because we can't make things work on our own. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, other personal reasons because I'll never get a proper Venom Spider-Man origin. Um, stalkerish kind of movie, and I hate them for it. But yeah, that, that's where I'm at with that. So my thing for this is that ever since they did the deal in what was that 2015, July 15, 16, somewhere around there. 15. Civil War is 2016, so it would have had to been like spring of 2015 they made the deal, right? Um. Yes. I know so, Holland like, was cast in like summer of 15. Right. So um, here's the deal. Um, since then, and since the renowned success of Homecoming, it has become apparent to me that Sony is like, this works. We don't have to get a, make, spend a whole lot of effort. And our guy is in the most popular franchise in the entire world. And we get the recognition for that. Now, we're going to take a chance on this Venom thing. And if this works out, we'll figure out where we go from there. Well, to everybody's amazement, including our own, you know, we were sitting there laughing two Octobers ago when we were sitting there watching this movie thinking, this is horrible. This is like, this is bad even for the 90s. And then they went on to make a whole bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And so now they've got this problem where they've got this movie that they spent an entire press junket telling us was separate and apart from everything that is now successful by happenstance. Well, now they don't have the brain power or the creative ingenuity to figure out a way to make that thing work outside of the thing that is very, very popular. And so now they've got this issue. We can't do this creatively. We can't think of a way to extend this. We can do Carnage for the sequel, right? That's the next obvious step because that's the next biggest thing in the Venom world, right? But beyond that, we don't know what to do. We've always liked the Sinister Six idea and Marvel's going to do that for us. But we can't have Venom as part of the Sinister Six. So... What do we do for a Venom 3? Well, Venom versus Spider-Man is the next evolution of that. Okay, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Before you go. If you're going to do if if the whole premise of Venom 3 is to do Venom versus Spider-Man, that no longer makes it a Venom movie. It's a Spider-Man movie at that point. I want people to understand that. I know that, you know, you've got this franchise and it's Venom-centric, but the minute you put... Even when they were trying to do that old Sinister Six movie and Spider-Man was going to be the villain of it, that means it is not a Sinister Six movie. It is a Spider-Man movie. You put him in it, he's the star of the movie. Okay, you can go. So if you do that, then you need that Spider-Man. But you can't have that Spider-Man unless he comes with all his stuff because he's been so intricately tied into the MCU because they've tied him to Iron Man and they've done all these things over the course of the last six years. It was the big sticking point, right? Like if, if what was going to happen was going to happen and they were going to break up, well, how do you keep Tom Holland in whatever thing Sony was going to do because he's been so integrated into the MCU, you can't act like that stuff never happened. So the only way you get to Venom and Spider-Man in a movie together one-on-one is if you bring Venom into the MCU. And so that is where they're at. Now, 
The issue with that creatively is Kevin is very, very picky about continuity and characters and things. And he made it abundantly clear on the last press junket for the original Venom that they had nothing to do with it. They didn't see dailies. They didn't have script input. They did absolutely nothing on it. And even in this new, new with this new Venom movie, when they show the trailer, the first thing that pops up is in association with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Not Marvel Studios logo. It is a big red logo that says Marvel that at the top says in association with. And that in association with is basically this is a character from Marvel. <laughs> so how does it work that if they're going to integrate him into the MCU without Feige having any creative say-so or input over the character? Oh, that's easy. Um, it doesn't. It does not work at all. I can put... Look, this is this is how this arrangement works for Feige. Um, Feige is that parent that lets, you know, he lets the kid come over. He lets his kid go over to your house. And, well, no, he lets your kid come over to his house. And Y'all can play with all his toys together while he's loosely watching you to make sure that you're not messing around with stuff. Now, when it's time for your kids, for his kid to go over to your house, he's like, okay, but I'm not letting him bring any of my toys over there. You can play with yours. You can bring your toys over here. We can all play together. When I go over there, I'm not bringing mine. We'll just play with yours. That's how this works. You dive you are not selling my toys in your house over there. You can just bring yours and play in my pristine palace over here. That's how this works. So if there is going to be an inclusion of Venom in the MCU, it's only happening through the, the lens of what Feige wants to do. Um, so, so that kind of raises the question of if this is true and a Spider-Man does appear at the end of Venom. Is the relationship between Marvel and Sony like done? Or has the MCU been like, okay, fine. You seem really, really keen on having this toy come over here. Okay, that's fine. You can bring that toy. But again, once you get over here, it's in my purview. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, as far as we know, the deal, when they redid the deal, when they weren't going to have a deal, it was for one more movie, this one, and time to appear in like two other movies. I think that was the deal. Again, I think it would be foolish for Sony to walk away from that deal, but we don't know what's going on. Well, Tom Holland has said openly that his understanding of the rewritten agreement is that that impasse will never happen again. So that is his understanding of that, that it was an ironclad uh, deal. Now, whether it was for one picture or one, one solo movie and two, so two appearances or what the deal was there, we have no idea. Um, and honestly, it would be really interesting for me to see Faye take on the challenge of working with a creation that isn't his. Like this, this version of Venom is a very definitive Tom Hardy product. Uh, like down to the the mannerisms and the goofiness and the cornballness of it. This is one of the things I'm interested in with Deadpool as well. It's such a Reynolds tied thing, right? How do you bring that actor driven created character into the producer and writer and director uh, driven MCU? Um, I think that's going to be a really interesting challenge going forward. Um, and why not make an arrangement, if you're Sony, why not make an arrangement where I can get the critical praise and the box office and not have to do a whole bunch of work? We got to remember that it's not just um, Kevin Feige making these arrangements. Disney's in this too. And a big part of why things broke down last time was... Um, Revenue distribution. The, yes. And Sony was like, Disney wanted... Want to redo it and have it redone, 
heavily in their favor. And that has been their want to do in everything, even in theater, with their dealings with theaters. They have done it where they get a bigger cut than anybody else because they are Disney and they carry the biggest stick. Okay, fine. Uh, Sony was like, um, thanks, but no thanks. I'm, we don't, again, we're not negotiating with terrorists. Because in this instance, Disney is being a bit of a terrorist. They're, they're throwing their weight around. I, I completely see Sony's side. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the thing. I think if it was up to Feige, he'd be like, okay, let's rework the deal where it's favorable. So to him, I think pure speculation to him, I think the having Spider-Man in the MCU is more valuable over long haul for everybody than these, you know, heavy handed deals to skew to one person or the other. So I think he sees a value in it like that. So if it was up to him, it was like, it would be like, um, let's do, you know, 55, 40, or maybe 60, uh, 60, um, do 55, 45, or 60, 40. Because, um, I mean, we are doing a little bit more, but we don't need to, like, hold you over the coals, something like that. Um, so the, the business part of it complicates matters. But I think you bring up a good point with uh, Deadpool, who is completely not an MCU creation. And they seem to have no problem wanting to bring him into the fold and letting Ryan Reynolds do what Ryan Reynolds wants to do with that character. Um, But the difference is Venom is, as a character, so tied to Spider-Man. Whereas while Deadpool is tied to the X-Men, he can do whatever he wants and everybody be fine with that. When you introduce Venom into the larger role, that just means that he has to have some kind of relations with Spider-Man. And because this version of the character is so constructed in this one way, it makes it hard to figure out, makes it hard for us to just imagine it having a relationship with Spider-Man going forward. That's more of the conundrum to me. I'm sure they can figure out a way around it. I would just rather they just not do it. Indeed. So, Chad, let's talk about characters and rights and licensing agreements. Um, Your thoughts, sir, on the Dicko estate and several other entities trying to get rights back uh, for works created in a cooperative. All right. Um, First things first, I am not a lawyer. I was briefly in law school, but I never got this far. So I have no legal background to say, to, to really offer a great opinion that way. Um, but what I will say is, um, I know when I first heard the news, and I'm almost ashamed to say, you know, the first, my first thought is, I don't want these characters to leave the worlds they have been in. Um, that's my that was knee-jerk reaction. My second reaction is these creators deserve more than they ever got during their lifetime. Most of these, most of the early creators, um, outside of Stan, probably Kirby to a little extent, but most of them um uh died penniless or very close to it. And when you look at where those characters are now, especially right now with Marvel, they are um, the centerpiece of billion dollar businesses. And to say that the men who created these characters got very little for doing that, um, you know, it is, it is a shame. Now, during the time when they, when they created them and it is still quite the way with uh, Marvel, it's, you know, it's work for hire. So yes, you do the work, but the company owns the rights to the work that you do. We all understand that. However, just looking at it in the interest of fairness, there's, n- there's nothing fair in the people that are responsible for giving us Spider-Man, who alone makes billions of dollars, not having any of it. Um, 
this is not the first time we've done this. We had a similar thing with uh, the uh, Schu- um, Schuster. I think it was just the Schuster family. It might have been. Uh, yeah, the creators of Superman. Yeah, the creators of Superman. I, I don't remember if it was both families, just one. And it's killing me that I can't think of the, the second last name off the top of my head. You not know it. Um, and they were and they were non-successful. No, they well, that one I I still haven't gone back to look at it. That one is weird because at one point the family did own um they owned some of the rights to Superman. Like I think the judgment was so um things that happened, things that were created when Superman was first created, like you know, Superman, Lois Lane, um, those kind of things, they own those rights too. But things that happen after it, like, you know, kryptonite and his ability to fly and heat vision, all those things came later in different media. Um, uh, a funny twist, Superboy. Those things stayed with DC because they were created later separately from Superman. So the family did own it for a while because I know this came up around the the release of Man of Steel because uh, at that time, because of that arrangement, Warner Brothers had to make a Superman movie every four or to seven-ish years uh, because of that arrangement. Between, Between Man of Steel coming out and and BVS, I think it got resolved where they either don't retain their ownership or that part of the deal is no longer there. I don't really know, but that one is, that one is um, complicated. And I think this one will be complicated too, because I've already heard two different versions of how this could go. Um, One version is that, you know, they're suing for when, when the copyright for Spider-Man is up, which in copyright law, that would be, I think, in two years, the rights were revert to the estate of Steve Ditko, one of the creators of Spider-Man, and all these other characters. I think you go to all the characters, but I know Ditko for sure. The other version I heard is that Marvel will still retain the rights, but the Ditko estate would also have rights. So I don't know which one of those are for sure. Uh, all that to say that um, I think in the issue of in 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 thinking of fairness that these big corporations, specifically specifically Disney, they can afford to work out arrangement with these estates with these families to get them something for the work that they did. Uh, I know it was work for hire legally they don't you might think they don't owe them anything but i think it's the right thing to do and really when you're thinking about it you can give them a drop in the bucket for you and make this whole family's the whole lineage for like generations uh i I think that i think they need to do something like that i think disney needs to settle a lot of cases uh this and you know they have other issues as well that they need to settle so i think that that would be the best way to go to garner the most goodwill and do the best things but you know disney seems to want to stick their foot in there sometimes so we'll see how long they hold off this i agree um legally i think that marvel and the the creators uh, are that marvel is on solid legal ground as far as the case itself. And there have been several of these kinds of cases that have come up and they've always ended up being adjudicated in the, in the uh, to the benefit of the pl- of the uh, defendant. But um, the issue for me is more of, as you said, as Spike Lee would say, do the right thing. Um, <laughs> that, you know, you're, you have the money, settle, and just, you know, ev- even if you want to give them some creative control, you can do that as well, but like, just make it right. Um, because, you know, because like these, these guys gave, you know, are the reason you have a company to begin with, you know, 
Um, and you know what it's like to lose the rights to your stuff. Uh, you know, Marvel Marvel itself had to sell off the rights to many of its characters just to, to maintain operations back in the 90s. So if it were me uh, and if I'm Alan Horn and in, in the Disney brass, I would just go ahead and cut a check. But that's just me. Yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. But And they might get there eventually, but it seems like they want to get dragged kicking and screaming a little bit. I, I don't I do and not. While understand. you're at it, cut cut ScarJo a check too, because because you're gonna need her to work for Fox Searchlight at some. Well, it, more than that, um, I meant to bring it up earlier, but uh, the the success of Shang Chi speaks directly to her case. Her case is saying that you know I agreed to this thing. They decided to do the streaming only, and because of that, I lost out on revenues because they didn't have theater revenue. And Disney's going to say, well, we had the pandemic and whatnot. But then, I mean, I, I think any good judge is going to be like, well, like, less than two months later, you released this other one during the pandemic without a streaming option. And look at the money it made. So if we just base it off of that, how much money would she have gotten? And then, and then you're, you're stuck up. A creek because I think they're gonna. I, I don't think they can win this one. I think they need to settle with her as soon as possible, because especially with Shang Chi, they're staring this law. They're staring losing this lawsuit right in the face. And if they do, it will set precedent in the industry, and it will create a flood of similar cases. Yeah, I I think they have to, they have to settle this. I don't know why they let it go on so long um and 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 with like all lawsuits nobody wants to get to discovery and i can't because everything comes out in discovery nothing makes anybody look good in discovery so i, I think they're going to settle before then it's just like why let it get to this point just give her some money and shut up man indeed so another week another rant uh chad uh, as you saw, I posted on Twitter that I had thoughts. It is your turn to pilot the podcast, sir. All right, wait, wait, wait. Well, let's see. I got to find these thoughts because I forgot. Oh. <laughs> so I take it you saw a movie this weekend. I did. Uh, a movie with, I'm going to assume this movie has lots of singing. Yes, lots of singing. And uh, and people that, you know, may look like undercover cops in high school. And people who just are complete douchebags. <laughs> right. So uh, I didn't know if you actually saw Dear Evan Hansen. I, I've only heard about this because this movie's come out. And then it came out and people have been not so kind to this movie. And I, I, I mean, it made it to the point that I don't want to see it, but I'm intrigued to know besides the lead being 30 years old playing 16, like what has really been going on? So I get to get that and a rant. So um, tell us about Dear Evan Hansen. So, Chad, I saw the trailer for this in front of Shang-Chi, um, and I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and then I saw the reviews on this, and then I was like, I'm probably going to be uncomfortable in this movie. And then I saw it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm uncomfortable in this movie. Um, Chad, we live in a society in which mental health is a very important issue. We are coming off the height of the pandemic where... You know, people were, last spring were literally stuck in their homes for weeks on end, and mental health took a nosedive for a lot of people, and a lot of people didn't recover from that. And, you know, while there has been a great deal of talk surrounding the age appropriateness of the casting or, you know, several different factors about this film, the singing, um, its faithfulness to the Broadway adaptation, uh, Broadway play, yada, yada. My issue with the film is how it deals with mental illness and in particular, how it deals with suicide. Um, it's not great yet. 
Not great. Um, so for those unfamiliar, part of the plot of the story is that the guy meets a kid in high school. They're, they're in high school at the same time. He's kind of an under, a bullied kid, an underappreciated kid. They have a moment. He signs his cast. And then the kid ends up killing himself. And he writes a note or a letter. And, and it's because he, he was trained by his psychiatrist to write letters to himself as kind of a way to help boost encouragement or whatever. And his family gives, gives the kid the scientist cast, the last one of the note. And it's a whole confusing thing about them confusing him for somebody else and yada, yada. It's a big mess. Okay. My main point, film does not really care about mental illness. Film does not really care about suicide. Care, film does not really care about bullying. Film does not really care about the emotional weight of what is going on in it. Film's very concerned with dreamy 30-year-old dude hooking up with dead girl's sister. That is what the film is concerned with. And that is an issue for me. Um, to talk very briefly here in a very serious way, I know we do a lot of funny bits, especially when I'm doing a rant. Having been someone who has had his life directly impacted by suicide in a way that was deeply personal and very close to home. To see a major Hollywood film that has the potential, as the Broadway musical also had the potential, to start a conversation about mental illness and about suicide prevention during Suicide Prevention Month, to see it bypass on that opportunity for other things was deeply frustrating. And I'm glad that critics saw that along with the other things that were going on with the film. And I'm glad that critics called it out for it because it, we don't need that kind of negative stigma with mental health issues right now. We don't need that kind of negative stigma with suicide. We, we need we need to start having an open conversation in this country about mental health. We have an entire side of the political spectrum that yells at the top of their lungs every two weeks when there's a mass shooting that it's a mental illness problem, not a gun problem. But that same side of the aisle, the political aisle, never wants to fund mental health and wants to continue making mental health completely unaffordable for a whole segment of the Okay, so... We aren't having that conversation because the world hasn't been moved to have that conversation. And things like Dear Evan Hansen have the opportunity to start that conversation, even if it's just on film Twitter, but it chooses not to because this other thing is more important or this other thing will sell more tickets or this other thing. And that bugged me. And the other thing that bugged me was the Christian conservative nature of some of the statements um, that are made in the film regarding that kind of thing. And it was deeply hurtful to me as an individual to watch a family that is dealing with the loss of their son to be duped over by a guy who ultimately feels guilty enough to do what he has to do. But like, it hurt, it, it was hurtful to, to watch, you know the pain of losing a loved one. There, are, Everybody listening to this podcast knows the pain of losing someone close to them. To see that played out in a way that was just like secondary or tertiary, and to, to kind of feel like this guy is taking advantage of these people was deeply hurtful to me. And it's not something that I think that, that should have been portrayed. Again, I, I wish that we were having positive conversations about mental health coming out of this film, and we're just not. We're having, we're having conversations about other things, and that's, that's unfortunate. But, you know, to, to see that subject matter not you know, I went on that whole rant last week about abortion 
and about how eloquently and beautifully the Godfather Part Two dealt with that topic in the wo- in the wake of Roe, and in that critical political moment, talking about it in that way. No one remembers that. You you never hear any review. You never hear any critical analysis of that film that talks about that particular scene, but it's there and it's noticed and it says something about it. And I'm not sitting here saying that we need to have a movie of parents weeping and crying over over their children. What I am saying is we need to have movies that portray the seriousness of the situation, the reality of the pain that the families deal with and loved ones deal with, and has a conversation about how and what we should do to help. It doesn't necessarily have to be the main focus of the film. It doesn't even necessarily have to be pronounced and, and like in your face about it. But when you have that opportunity and you punt on it as hard as they did, I, I just, I, I've got nothing. I mean, I can't really expect anything different considering the, the producers of the film and the writers and the team behind it. But I still just kind of feel like it's a lost opportunity, and, and, I, and I, I feel bad because more people are going to see this movie than we'll see any small independent film that will be financed through A24 or, you know, a Neon or Fox Searchlight or anybody else who would have put out something that would tackle the subject matter in an entertaining yet effective way. That's uh, yeah. That that is a little bit heavier than our normal rant on here, but uh, I I did hear the the little bit of noise I did hear about dear Evan Hansen. I I can hear, I can see. I already kind of saw what you were going to say about that. Um, now in the movie, I know, you know, he takes advantage of this family. Uh, from what I've heard, it sounds like. I don't know. I don't know what happens in the movie, but from what I've heard, it sounds like he kind of gets off easy in in his uh, confession of guilt to everybody. He doesn't suffer consequences of any major kind, and still and still kind of ends up getting what he wanted in the first place, which was the hot sister. Yeah, that's uh, that's not good, man. That's. It's of we love you anyway. Like you've we've come to love you as a son. We understand that you've made a mistake and we forgive you and just kind of that kind of a thing. It's not so much a how could you do this to us? Like, you know, we feel like how could you how could you take advantage of our situation? Yada yada. It's just more of a wholehearted forgiveness thing. I mean I get it. It's a Hollywood movie, but uh, again, yeah, with the the subject matter broaching, broken, you're approaching, um, and the I mean the character the character of Evan Hansen, from what I understand, I mean I I saw the trailer in front of uh, Shang Chi too, so I mean he's he's clearly going through some his own things and he's seeing therapists about it. So I under like it's. It seems like a missed opportunity when you have somebody like that and you have the the other person that actually does commit suicide to say something about it. Uh, and it sounds like this is just missed opportunity all the way around. It, it's bungled and ham-fisted and not great. And like when I say ham-fisted, I mean like breakthrough you know, ham-fisted. Like literally, like what, what wasn't that the name of that movie where the kid falls in the ice and they all start praying for his recovery? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At least that one was like based on a real story, right? But still, like that movie was very clearly, you know, had a message that it wanted to get across and did so in a very blatant manner. And this yeah. movie, like at times, is very blatant, but it's not blatant in the right ways. Oh boy. But that's why it's only going to make like $3 million at the box office this week. So, you know, <laughs> to each his own. I think it's made less than that. I forgot what it's made already. 
So, Chad, as we finish up this podcast, uh, give me a box office total domestically for Venom, Let There Be Carnage, as it will dethrone Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, but by how much? Um, damn it. I freak. I forget what Shang-Chi made its first weekend. It made did it make it made over 60. Did it make close to 80? So I can get that up for you real quick. Yeah. Again, this is our weekly reminder that box office mojo now sucks. And it's not helpful for these type of questions, which is solely what it was built for. Very much so. So Shang-Chi uh, opening weekend box office was 75, putting it directly in between the Fast Saga and Black Widow. So the Fast Saga opened to 70, Shang-Chi opened to 75, and Black Widow opened to 80. Okay, so I think Venom's going to get a quiet 50. place two would a quiet place two was 47. Yeah. Uh, so 47 is your floor. 80 is your ceiling. Where are you falling in that range? Okay, I'm gonna, I'll give it 55. I think that that's fine for for Venom. And I will go. Uh, I will go 72. Oh boy, that's kind of high. I. Uh... You say that it's high, sir. But as soon as people go Thursday night and they see that stinger, and word of mouth gets out that that stinger is actually real, I personally know people who were not interested in, in the very least, in seeing Venom Let There Be Carnage. And then they heard about that stinger possibility, and they bought tickets. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you, word of mouth will be very very good from Thursday night on, and it will increase in ticket sales over the course of Friday and Saturday, and it will land at 70, $72 million. You have more confidence than I do, um, we were wrong two years ago. We just thought the '90s grunge heads would be out, but everybody came out to see the lobster tank and all the silliness. Well, I mean, no, I, I get that. Um, which is so it, it's. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around like COVID estimations, because if this was not COVID, um, whatever the first one opened with, I would like. I'll probably want to close to double it. But since we're dealing with COVID and, you know, everything, everything is tampered down. Um, I think, I don't think it'll do, I just don't think it can do almost as well as a Marvel movie, a Marvel proper movie, but I think it will do damn well. And I think it's, it's going to be one of those um, with lace things. So um, but the 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 prospect of the stinger driving people to to the theaters was something I did not consider. Uh, but I'm going to stick with my 55. Uh, Venom did 856 million worldwide, and box office wise, did 205 million dollars global opening week. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to stick with my 55. I think that's that equates to a, a COVID opening weekend for, for this type of movie. All right. So that'll about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with us on Twitter, I am the uh, Florida Gator fan slash Tiger fan slash bets on games and makes money uh, guy <laughs> at BCW Tiger fan, biggest Mark Sanchez fan, hire him for the USC coaching job. And I am the guy that will not bet on anything because I like my money too much and I'm not going to lose it betting on 20-year-olds at the Mets Theory. Thank you very much and all hail Mark Sanchez. Goodbye, man. Uh, so there's a, a very bad Owen Hart joke in that uh, in that ending tonight. Ow. Haven't seen ring ropes collapse that way. The top, the top turnbuckle collapse that way since. You can, you can just stop now. That's the, I, I got it. I got it. Mm-hmm.
I'm 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 leaving that in so you can explain it to to everybody else. That was a uh, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> uh, crowd crowd was uh really into the demon, and then the demon uh kind of got got uh what the demon always gets, which is screwed over. I need an explanation for how the thing just popped. Like, well, that's what I, I was thinking. Like, the first thing that I that came to my mind immediately was that Paul had pulled the turnbuckle because Paul's right there on the ring ape side of the, that side of the ring. He saw the demon was up there. The uh, smoke and stuff that was emitting from the arena clouded the camera shot that they had. He could have very easily done it to where it was Paul who either pushed him off in the bro- in the turnbuckle belt uh, broke when he fell, or that he pulled a you know pulled the thing out and it collapsed the turnbuckle. But the camera angles they showed on replay very clearly demonstrate that the thing just collapsed. Yeah, for no real reason, and that immediately. Uh, that that immediately upon it happening, Roman looks up to heaven <laughs> and thanks good old Owen Hart for that happening. So, um, you know, not the cleanest booking in the world. I mean, it's, I mean, it is what it is because I, I don't have a problem with this particular Roman, but, uh, I mean, it seems it seems like they're saving him for like a couple of big matches, so he's just gonna beat everybody until we get there. But that's the thing, like you go th- so you you have the big thing at SummerSlam with Cena. Brock comes out. You're saving Brock for Saudi Arabia. You're gonna put uh, Roman over Brock in Saudi Arabia, and then traditionally, at least the last five years or so. Survivor Series has basically been champion versus champions and with with some Survivor Series matches thrown in there. So you're just basically going to get back into what you got last year, something similar to like Roman versus McIntyre or whoever, Roman versus Lashley or Roman versus Roman, Big Roman versus yeah. Biggie. Yeah. And then no one cares about TLC. WWE doesn't even care about TLC. So really... Like after he gets through with this match at Crown Jewel in th- in three weeks, he's really just looking at garbage time till January. Yeah, and that's what three months from now. Mm-hmm. So they need contenders for three months from now. Now, granted, they're about to do the draft, and Drew McIntyre is probably heading over there. But again, Roman's just gonna beat him. So. Uh, so unless they're unless they're going to take the title off of Roman and give it to McIntyre for like four months, he's just going to beat everybody, and that's and that's fine. Um, it's just you have to come up with unique ways. You can't do it in sloppy ways like you did tonight. You have to come up with interesting ways. The way AEW has been booking. Uh, Kenny Omega has been dominant, but not like un- untouchable. You know, they've booked, they protected him, but they booked him in cleaner ways than WWE has been booking Roman. Uh, I don't, I don't even remember who Roman beat last. Um, Roman's last last championship match was was John at at oh, uh, at SummerSlam. See, they because it was John, he beat him clean as a sheet. So. Um, there was no that one was good. That one was the way it should have been. And then before was, that, it was Edge, where Edge gets uh, screwed over because they have to shut up the match with uh, with Seth. Yeah, and so it's he's got a he's most of the finishes to his matches involved interference in some kind of way, except for Cena, which is good. And I understand that you want to have interference to protect some guys, like you're going to have to have it for for McIntyre. For for whatever happened tonight, it says that something that they want to protect Finn to have this kind of finish because he could have just beat him clean too, but he didn't. But I, I, 
it's because the they don't know how to make people and the people that they make they make them to protect them like like McIntyre like Lashley so and like Roman so if you're only making guys to protect them and those are your only contenders well somebody's got to lose you're not you're not helping your case you don't have enough contenders um I mean, I would say there's a there's a serious difference between what did Cole say kept saying tonight? What three hundred ninety five days, three hundred ninety two, yeah. something like that. They kept saying the number. Um, this is a little bit this this is different. From Punk's four thirty five or four thirty four because while Punk never closed the show, it never felt like they were just feeding Punk bodies. They always felt like they were feeding him legitimate people who could go over him. And it's the same way with Rollins. When Rollins was on that run with uh, Triple H and Stephanie in his corner and being the chosen one, yeah, he always found heelish ways to get out of matches, but it never felt like they were just giving him body bags. Like, at this particular moment in time, it really genuinely does feel that whoever goes up they put against Roman is just going to lose. Yes. And, yeah, that's kind of the thing. they haven't made any um, contenders that feel like legitimate threats. The most legitimate threats have been people that have come from outside. Um, maybe Seth could feel like a legitimate threat, except, you know, he's a heel too. And I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, they haven't done the best with heel versus heel. But, I mean, if they need to turn somebody real quick, he's an option. Um, but, yeah. And I mean, again, I don't have a problem with Roman having the title up until next year. No, I, I have no problem with what you're doing with the character. You're do, he's doing some, as you've said for many, many times, he's doing some of the best work of his career. But the problem is like, they're not booking him in a way that is satisfactory to everyone involved, where, you know, you feel a sense of urgency or a sense of, a sense of competitiveness, right? I mean, what we saw tonight is something that boggles even the suspension of disbelief with the with the turnbuckle, right? But like, ultimately, this is still supposed to feel like real competition, like a real thing. And right now, it just doesn't when you put Finn Balor up there or you put Damian Priest up there or you put name guy X that's really, you know, Samoa Joe or um uh keith lee or you name the guy like you put those guys up against roman you just feel like it's okay i hope they at least entertain me for the next 40 minutes but i know the outcome and you know i never walked into a steve austin match and went i just want to be entertained for the next 30 minutes but i know how this is going to go yeah and it's i mean hearing us say this it might sound like we're dumping on Roman, but I'm really not dumping on Roman at all. I'm dumping on the pool of people to face Roman, and that is that falls squarely at the feet of the people booking the show who can't book. They they can't make people. Uh, they have a hard time. Well, let me not say they can't make people because that in the past two years they've made Lashley, they've made McIntyre, but those are two guys that were there before they came back and they like rehabilitated their image. But they can't consistently make contenders for world championships. Like, it's very thin, and we've seen it all. Well, that being said, like, Lashley was still in the middle of that horrible, horrible, horrible feud with him and Rusev in the Lana thing just not too long ago. So it's not like they've all had great runs of success since they've been on their second runs in WWE. What has happened is, just like Kofi, they've randomly gotten over. Like, they've made, they've gotten themselves over, and Vince recognized it and liked the people enough to give them runs. Not every person who has gotten themselves over organically has gotten a run from Vince. That's because they don't look like Vince wants them to look. like. Exactly. These guys, so like, I mean, yeah, we're so talking look, about, look what, yeah, we, we're... We're looking at Lashley and McIntyre, both guys that are over 6'3", big jack guys that can work and move. Yeah, those are Vince's type of guys. I'm amazed that Balor has gotten 
the the kind of run that he has because he's he's visibly smaller than everybody else. Yes, he he's put together well, but this isn't typically like the guys that are under six foot. But uh, again, even though that finish is, I find it stupid. Um, the fact that they did that and didn't let Roman beat him clean shows that Vince does like him for some reason. I don't know why. I love Finn Balor, so I'm not knocking him, but he doesn't fit Vince's mold. Well, none of the NXT guys fit Vince's mold. That's that's part of the problem. But, or I should say NXT 1.0 uh, guys. But um, the, the thing with Finn, uh, with Finn, from everything we've heard, is that Finn is kind of a Kofi Kingston-like figure in that he's, he's open to anything. Uh, he doesn't hold grudges. He's very open-minded, and he's very communicative with his character. So, like, if Vince comes to him with ideas, even if they're like, go talk to this mom for three years and, you know, pretend to be Perry Saturn, he'll say yes. <laughs> and if they come to him and say, go back down to NXT, he's like, okay, I'll go help the kids in NXT. If he, they say, hey, we're going to give you a title match, he's like, great, I'll make the most of his opportunity. He's truly one of those guys who, no matter where he is on the card, he feels like he can steal the show. And so he's open to being moved around and being malleable. And that's not something everybody is in that company. And you can survive longer when you're that kind of dude than you can when you're just when you're just like, you know, this is my character. This is who I want to be. I know who who I am. Go take a short walk off a long pier. Yeah. Yeah. No. Kofi's done the same thing for 15 years, 10 years. Like Kofi's played the game. He he's he he had the one feud as a solo with Orton in July of what 2005, I think. And it it was 2008. I can tell you exactly when it was because that is when Randy came back and uh he got the new music and uh he that that was right that led right into that run of WrestleMania and stuff where Randy should have won here in Houston against Triple H, but did not because reasons. Is that the, uh, that's the, that's the feud that ended the WrestleMania 25 feud that yep. ended, that ended with, uh, with the Triple H and going to Randy Orton's or Randy Orton go to Triple H's song or one of the two of them. Well, yeah. Somebody's, I'm pretty sure it was Randy going to Triple H's. I don't know. I just remember it. Yeah, somebody went to somebody's house, and I believe there was a fire involved. No, imagine that. Yeah, but I, I mean, I just, you know, the Saudi crown prince, if the Saudi crown prince says, I want Roman Reigns to lose, then he'll lose. We'll see. <laughs> I guess, man. Uh, I think the, the... These things happen when you deal with war criminals. I mean, if you, if they tell you that they want something, you listen because you're afraid of what happened to the last guy happening to you and i don't think vince wants to be you know cut up and put into a little box or you know you could just not do business with the war criminals and not have to run that risk i mean they did hijack like you know they did like uh you know keep your airplane grounded for reasons one of the last times you went there yeah Uh, well also one of the last times you the last time you went there in february of 2020 uh, they were all already wearing masks and doing protective measures. And you were like, what is this? <laughs> uh, I mean, they're not complete assholes. They at least got that so, going for them. So uh, before we actually get into our real episode, um, tell me your thoughts on the Roman mask situation, because they no sold that completely. Like, Cole didn't mention it at all. Like, no, Ben didn't mention it. Like, it, it didn't, like, it just happened. As soon as they got into the crowd, he slips the mask on. He does the spots with the mask on. And then magically, as soon as Ben throws him back into the ring, the mask is gone. So I had, I, I think I was walking back and I didn't really see the, the screen. Um, did he pull out the mask from his pocket or did Paul give him the mask? I could I I couldn't tell. I thought at first somebody in the crowd had hand, like a, a um security guard or something had had handed him a mask, but any, either way, you know, the camera pans away and then all of a sudden he's in a mask and no one no one says anything, literally. I, 
All I, I remember while I wasn't looking at the TV, I remember hearing McAfee say something about uh, he he referenced Roman saying something to Paul, like Paul was doing something for him. And then I turned back around there in the crowd and he had the mask on. So I assumed that Paul gave him the mask. Um, and, you know, I don't, I know why he's wearing the mask. He's wearing the mask because he was gone when COVID started because this dude has survived what, uh, is it leukemia? He survived it like twice. And he's like, I ain't messing with this with none of y'all. So the minute he crossed the barrier, he had the mask on. And again, I didn't see him put it on. They were already at the desk in the crowd when I turned around and saw him. And as soon as I saw him in the mask, I'm like, oh, I get this. I know exactly why. Because as much as this is going on, real life matters too. So screw y'all. I'm wearing this mask. You got a problem with it? I'll punch you in the face. Let's go. I just thought it was an inter- interesting that Vince, like, it's very clear it's there, and Vince just no sells it. Like, no one says anything about it. It just happens. And, you know, this is a guy who's like best friends with the former president of the United States. Um, so it's just, it was just an interesting move for me. I mean, it, it's, it's so jarring just because we haven't seen it yet. Like, especially in, in that company there was a time when they were trying not to have people wear masks. And then when everybody was wearing masks, they kind of relented. But I, it, so because we just haven't seen it on their TV, it like really stood out. But again, if you know Roman Reigns, like the minute I saw it, I'm like, I got, I know exactly what this is. I got you. Indeed. 